You are listening to WRFG Atlanta, 89.3 FM. Up next, Alternative Perspectives, Atlanta's only queer radio hour. Hold on tight. You are listening to WRFG Atlanta 89.3 FM. Welcome to Atlanta's Alternative Perspectives. This is Atlanta's only local radio hour devoted exclusively to issues affecting Atlanta's queer community. I am your host, Greg Bosson, and thank you so much for listening. Welcome, everybody, to the show. it's cold. Um, <laughs> it was 62 degrees this morning when I was biking to work, which was very amazing to me that it was so cold. Anyway, the opinions expressed here are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily represent the views of WRFG, its employees, board, volunteers, funders, or listeners. So we have an author on the show tonight. His name is Bill Konigsberg. And uh, he grew up in New York. Uh, He lives in Phoenix now. I believe it's Phoenix. Uh, But uh, he has written, this is his seventh novel that has just come out. And uh, he is, uh, he has won the Stonewall Book Award and the Penn Center USA Literary Award. uh, For a couple of his other books in 2018, the National Council of Teachers of English Assembly on Literature and Adolescence established an award in his name. Uh, Again, his name is Bill Konigsberg, uh, and they established an award for acts and activism for equity and inclusion through young adult literature. So uh, that's pretty cool. They named an award after him. And uh, anyway, the book that he has just written that came out a couple of weeks ago is called Destination Unknown. And uh, it's a book that takes place during the AIDS crisis in New York City, where he grew up. Uh, And uh, the book starts in 1987 and ends, uh, well, it ends almost in present day, but the vast majority of the book takes place in 87, 88. And it's a a coming out story, a story about what it's like dealing with uh, HIV during that time. And uh, it's an amazing book. And he's a cool person, so I'm hoping that you will listen uh, as we interview him. I'm excited about that. But before we get to that... News of the queer. Uh, uh, I know that's right. No, she didn't say what? And we have Alexa with us from uh, Georgia Equality. Hey, Alexa, good morning. How are you? Hey, Greg, good morning. Um, I'm doing pretty good. The weather is everything to me right now. Are you liking it colder? Oh my gosh. I'm totally a like fall to winter gal. And when uh, the, you know, and you know, I wake up at 5 a.m. So it was actually like 54 when I woke up. So dreams. 5 a.m. <laughs> you wake up. What are you doing? Are you one of those people that sits around and drinks tea or coffee? Yes. As you're- every single morning, even when I'm out of town for work, no matter where I'm at. I find a place, get a cup of coffee. I sit, read a book, listen to music. It's I swear. 
Now, I wake up about 15 minutes before I need to leave. So that's. <laughs> I would be a mess all day if I did that. I would be a mess. Now, some people <laughs> say that I am a mess, but uh, <laughs> anyway. So, uh, all right. So, what do we got uh, in the news today that we want to cover? So, um, first story the Washington Post um, put out a story out of Copenhagen, Denmark. Oh, wow. Um, so, Yes. So apparently there was a deadly shooting at the Norwegian Norwegian capital's annual LGBTQ pride festival. Um, And so recently a 42 year old Norwegian citizen um, originally from Iran was arrested shortly after the June shooting um, in a nightclub district that killed two people and wounded more than 20. Um, A second Norwegian man in his 40s is being sought after, um, police said last Friday. Um, And so on Monday, police said two more suspects, again, a man in his 40s with Somalian citizenship in a Norwegian national um, in his 30s were arrested Sunday. Both are known to the police, authorities said, adding them um, as residents um, of this particular city. They face preliminary charges of complicity in an act of terrorism. The suspect, who has not yet been detained, um, is believed to be in Pakistan. Norwegian police said that to ensure the best possible cooperation with the Pakistani authorities, we had officials from the um, Oslo police district in Pakistan a short time ago. So, um, you know, I thought about this story, you know, this past June, our pride season here in the States. Um, there were a, quite a few stories coming out of people who were planning attacks um, or who were attempting to disrupt folks at these pride festivals. Um, and so apparently it's happening across the globe. Um, and it's it's scary. It's really, really scary. And I thought about Atlanta Pride that's coming up um, in the next two weeks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it makes me a little nervous um, as, you know, these are like the best of times and the worst of times, so to speak. Yeah, so. it is. It is scary. And uh, this uptick, it sounds like in um, mm-hmm. in hate crimes, although, I mean, we can't definitively say whether or not this was a hate crime, but um, uh, this uptick you can trace directly in in my view to just what's going on around the country and the world when it comes to the alt-right and yes so it's it's and i and i know a lot of these uh i guess trump voters or individuals that consider themselves conservative they don't necessarily i don't think i don't think every one of them or even the majority of them uh have a problem with uh queer folks but I do think that the people that do have an issue with queer folks have aligned themselves with that group and that party and to a certain extent have taken over. Um, so and legitimized it and given it, you know, made it OK, you know, under the guise of free speech, I guess. But I mean, yeah, it makes me think of a story we talked about a couple of weeks ago um, where they were f- the the writer of the story was discussing how the queer community, LGBTQ rights, things like that are being used almost as scapegoats for the alt-right, right? Mm-hmm. To, to kind of gain more popularity, to bring people, you know, more in agreement with their side. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely correct with the uptick. Mm-hmm. Um, and people may not actually have an issue with, with our community, but 
um, will use it. They're, they're using us, right? They're using us to, to gain right. more power. And, yeah. their, and their voters yeah. are willing to look the other way because they're more in, there are other things that are more important to them, like abortion or trickle-down economics, you know. Which exactly. Is, you know. But anyway, and you spoke about the pride, uh, which is making yes. its return. I don't know if that's one of the things you wanted to talk about today or not. But um, So excited. Yeah. Right. No, I think I was going to bring it on the end, but we can always insert, right, something yeah. positive. So um, 2022 Atlanta Pride is back this year, October um, 8th through the 9th, I believe. Um, there's going to be a full parade on Sunday, the 9th. We are so excited. Georgia Quality will be there. It's going to be huge. I know vendor spaces are sold out. There's no more spaces left in the parade. So if you're in the Atlanta metro area in Georgia where you have access to come down, it is going to be a party. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be huge because it's the first one in three years. Two two or three years. Yeah, because 2020 is when we shut down. The two years. Yeah, yeah the, com- the comeback. I mean, I was surprised. They sold out of vendor spaces and space in the parade pretty quickly. So um, it'll be a yeah. bright spot in all the things, I think. Assuming there's nothing bad that happens. You know, they, they canceled the, uh, the Atlanta Music Festival in Piedmont Park because of the concerns about guns because you could carry yes. guns. Yes. Yes. And it was my understanding that they couldn't, um, they weren't allowed to ban weapons. Right. Um, They couldn't legally ban the weapons. So they canceled that. You are absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was canceled. um, Not due to COVID-19, but because a new gun rule that contradicted their policies and expansion to the carry safe protection act made it illegal for businesses with short term leases like music Midtown to enforce a gun ban. Um, however, yeah. Atlanta Pride attendees should not fear while they cannot ban gums from the event. Uh, Atlanta uh, APC, uh, Atlanta Pride Committee, is strongly encouraging bring glitter, not guns. And there will be ample security throughout the park to keep everyone safe. Um, police will be present, but only officers who specifically volunteer to work uh, Pride. So I'm glad we're doing it anyway. Uh, it's scary. Uh, and I did notice, uh, Alexa, over the weekend, you know, those the, the anti-gay protesters with the Jesus signs that are always at Pride. I saw yes. them um, this past weekend uh, on the corner of oh. uh, 10th and Piedmont. I don't know if they're getting an early start. You did. Uh, yeah, I did. Well, I haven't seen them in a while. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know. I, they'll be, I mean, now let's be honest, they'll be out in full swing in two weeks at pride. I do believe that. Yeah. I, I always like that. to try and get a picture with them, but, uh, <laughs> but I will not be here. Uh, I will actually, I'm, I'm missing this pride this year. I apologize. Do y'all have a float? Georgie we Carter? don't have a float, but we're going to do a car and then just have a bunch of us walking and passing things out. Um, <laughs> I want everybody to know floats are a lot of trouble and they're expensive. So just want to put that out there. <laughs> floats are a lot of work. <laughs> so God, you know, bless the folks who, who put together floats. Cause who, well, I hope everybody goes to pride that's in Atlanta. It spends a little bit of time there, even if you're older, you know, nobody's really post pride. Yes. We got to support the younger people. And a lot of that is, you know, when I was young, I was, 
Oh my God, I'm going to pride. Look at all these people. But uh, bring glitter. I love glitter. That's a good idea. What bring else? Glitter. Yeah. Yes. What yeah. else do we got? All right. So we have got um, a story um, out of Serbia. So um, staunch religious and political conservatives have teamed up to challenge Serbia's recently revamped school curriculum over descriptions of gender and sexual identities, sparking a formal review that could result in textbook ban. From biology to history and sociology, the Serbian Orthodox Church and a fringe right-wing party have demanded the replacement of textbooks that they say promote LGBT ideology. As a result, Serbia's education minister is awaiting a recommendation from the National Education Council on the scientific soundness of the materials, but also on whether it serves the national interest to present such ideas to school children. Educators and members of Serbia's um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community warn that it's part of an accelerating trend of official surrender to the clergy and nationalists seeking to censor and dehumanize entire segments of the population. Um, Moreover, they question what LGBT ideology even means. Quote, they want to dehumanize us with the phrase, Anna, a queer woman who lives in Belgrade, Um, has said. And so the story goes on and on and on. But um, again, you know, like, like we talked about the world on a macro and micro level from states to nations to, you know, globally, you know, global conversation, there's this idea that um, anything that's got to do around queer language or queer education is an ideology versus just a representation of who exists here, right? and so Serbia, I guess, is now taking up this conversation. I found it interesting because clearly um, their education minister and whoever is creating these curriculums felt it necessary to include language, right? Um, which I thought was an, a great thing. Um, whoever was writing writing these textbooks just probably was like, this is a part of representation um, in education. And so um, that was the flip side of it for me. I thought that was actually cool that they were already including it enough to where there's a conversation around, should Mm -hmm. this be happening? Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, it's, um, it's really, it's really upsetting because, and, and I, and I get it in a way because in general, I mean, if you don't think about it too long, uh, you're like, well, you know, this is a controversial issue. It should be left to the parents, blah, 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 blah. But really, we're just talking about love. And, you know, if you are um, okay with um, showing your kid, um, you know, I don't know, Sleeping Beauty or Beauty and the Beast or any one of a number of Disney movies where a prince and a princess kiss, then really shouldn't be a problem letting kids know that, oh, by the way, there's around 10% of the population uh, that they happen to love the same sex. You know, I mean, if we just taught kids that from the get-go then it wouldn't even be an issue it shouldn't be an issue but anyway we got a long way to go um but uh and yes it's happening all over the world i think that's one of the things that i'm really you 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 know we live in this microcosm here in the united states we don't realize oh wait a second this stuff is happening everywhere everything it's a every everything happens everywhere inflation is high everywhere gas prices everywhere 
You know, the, yeah. um, the equality gap between the haves and the haves nots is growing. That's happening everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. nationalism is happening everywhere. Everywhere. Um, but um, anyway, so uh, which did were you going to talk about Cuba? Did yes, I right. have. Yes, I have a story. Um, Associated Press put out a story. Um, Cuba holds an unusual vote on law allowing same-sex marriage. Um, before I start, I have some thoughts around the word unusual vote, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> we'll go into <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> so this story out of, is out of Havana, Cuba. Um, Cuba held a rare referendum Sunday on an unusually contentious law, a government-backed, quote-unquote, family law code that would allow same-sex couples to marry and adopt, as well as outlining the rights of children and grandparents. Cuba holds preliminary elections every two years, though no party other than the communists is allowed but seldom has it held referendums on specific laws Um, and seldom has an officially backed measure met as much open criticism as the family law of more than 400 articles, which has been questioned by many members of the island's increasingly vocal evangelical community. The sweeping code also would allow surrogate pregnancies, broader rights for grandparents in regard to grandchildren, protection of the elderly, and measures against gender violence. President Miguel Diaz-Canal, who has promoted the law, acknowledged resistance as he voted on Sunday. Quote, most of our people will vote in favor of the code, but it still has issues that our society as a whole does not understand, he said. Results of the referendum are expected on Monday. Um, 64-year-old market vendor Miguel Aberto said he had voted for the measure. It's time that homosexuals have the same rights as everyone else, he said. Um, And so the story goes on and on, but what are your thoughts on it? I know... um, Well, I think it's it's just kind of ironic, you know, on the on the heels of what's happening across the world. We go to a country that I guess the United States is always considered pretty backwards in their in their um, uh, their political ideology. I'm a communist country. Um, But then they come out with this vote, which uh, it happened on Monday. And then I'm seeing that uh, 67 percent of voters, nearly four million voted in favor of the measure and 33 percent or two million opposed it. So 67 percent in Cuba are voting to uh, for marriage equality, which is pretty amazing. It's amazing. um, Yeah, it's a hundred page referendum. But um, yeah, Uh, the president said. Uh, celebrated the passage of the 100-page referendum, saying in a statement that love is now the law in Cuba. It makes, it makes me so happy. Yeah. And I think as Americans here in the States, we have to be very careful um, and consider um, how stories are written, how other countries are portrayed um, in our media, understanding that like a lot of our media is privatized with like self-invested interests. Um, because, yeah, we've, I think, often painted Cuba um, a certain way. But, I mean, the several stories that we've been over in the last few weeks, we've seen that there are these countries that are far more progressive than we would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not even as shocked by this, just excited. 
And yeah. I think they're setting they're setting a great tone um, for some for some other ways. I mean, every country's got its issues, but um, I definitely would not label this story and this vote as unusual. I yeah. think that's not fair. I would I would just say yes for Cuba getting it right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a nice way of putting it. That's a nice way of putting it. All right. <laughs> so um, we've got a little bit of time left. What else we got? A couple Let's minutes. See. Um, I have a story. It's hmm, be honest. I don't want to go there because we just we're ending on a high note. We're ending <laughs> okay. on a high note. I don't want to go down that path right there. Um, but I don't know. Is there anything else you want to share? Anything that you've seen in the news the last week or two that you found interesting? Uh, well, you know, I I um I do know that in Miami. Well, this isn't a high note. Uh, okay. But the okay. Miami, the Miami Dade uh, <laughs> County, Dade County yeah. in Miami, uh, the school, the school board voted uh, against recognizing October as LGBTQ History Month, um, which uh, wow. in the prior year they voted for. Yeah. This year they voted against seven to one and. Seven to one. Yeah. And the reason why is because they felt that the acknowledging LGBTQ history month in the school district in the county uh, would go directly in against the new law that passed in Florida. Uh, That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we see the effects of that law. Uh, well, that takes me right into my soapbox about the next elections mm-hmm. and voting for your local and state officials, y'all. Um, mm-hmm. General election is on November 8th. Early voting starts incredibly soon, y'all. Um, next week, I'll get y'all the exact dates. But um, yeah, you can register to vote um, up until October 11th. But um, yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. God, that law is so rough. Greg. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation, it's so rough. a situation, but that, you know, it, it, it's not so much the actual words in the law. It's more, you know, the effect that it has, you know, what, what happens as a result of it, um, which is what I was concerned about. Yeah, well, I mean, teachers, I've heard personally, I mean, teachers are, are afraid, right? School districts yeah. are afraid. Um, principals are afraid to really say anything to even get close, right? To mm-hmm. even get close to potentially, um, quote unquote, breaking that law and that policy. Right. right. Um, so All right. Yeah. Well, on that low note, uh, we. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Go to Pride and wear glitter. Thank you so much, Alexa. You're uh, welcome, Jay. And uh, we will be right back. On Saturday, October 1st, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., the Care Can't Wait Roundtable will bring together advocates from across the state to call for a better care infrastructure in Georgia, along with Ai-jin Poo, director of Caring Across Generations, and Brandi Evans, star of Key Valley. State advocates will lead discussions on the impact of the lack of access to child care, paid leave, and home and community-based services. The event will include care stories from Georgians that are currently filling the gaps that the service systems leave behind. Stakeholders will also explore how to make care programs more accessible and affordable for all residents of Georgia. 
In addition, Representatives Park Cannon, Kim Schofield, and William Boddy will join the conversation. Stipends for lost wages will be provided for direct care workers. That's Saturday, October 1st from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Movement Center located at 2366 Sylvan Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30344. This is another public service announcement brought to you by our listener-sponsored and supported community radio, 89.3 FM, WRFG.org. Thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, for those of you that are of a certain age, that was the the song is words, and it's from a band called uh, Missing Persons. For those of you that were around in the eighties, uh, the song actually came out in nineteen eighty one, and it is a uh, and somewhat important part of the uh, book that we will be talking with the author today about. The book is called Destination Unknown. And the author is Bill Konigsberg. Wow, Konigsberg. Am I saying that right, Bill? You got it right, yes. Okay, cool. That's shocking. All right. So uh, <laughs> Bill comes to us from uh, New York, right? Actually, uh, Phoenix. I'm in Arizona. Oh, well, that's not New York at all. All right. Not at all. And, Although I grew up in New York. So you that grew is up true. in New York. Yeah, where the book takes place. Again, the book is called Destination Unknown. Now, Bill, I'm just going to give him a little bit of a... Uh, background on you. So you are actually uh, the author of um, six. Is this your sixth or your seventh novel? Seventh. The seventh novel, uh, including the Stonewall Book Award and Penn Center U.S. Literary Award winning The The Porcupine of Truth and the Sid Fleischman Award for Humor Writing, Openly Straight. In 2018, the National Council of Teachers of English's Assembly on literature for adolescents or alan not alanon but alan i kept reading that as alanon established now this is impressive bill the bill Konensberg award for acts and activism for equity and inclusion through young adult literature uh well that's really impressive you know usually you have to be dead to have an award named after you I remember when I got the call and that was my first thought. I thought, wait a second. I had to pinch myself. Am I still here? I'm not dead yet. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and, you know, I do want to talk about that and maybe that's where we should start because it's interesting that you, um, this is tell, tell people a little bit about this award and what it's for and how it came to be. So this award uh, came to be because there was a, National Council of Teacher of Teachers of English uh, conference in 20, I think, 18 in Houston. And during one of the uh, panels that I happened to be on, a very far right wing, believe it or not, Latina poet who happened to also be a cop, uh, went rogue and just started to go off on African-American kids and gay kids and LGBTQ kids. And I was 
well, two things. One is that I led the revolt in the room about against that and shot her down. And the second is that I happened to be giving a speech the next day, a keynote speech, and I scrapped it and gave a speech about that. And that was apparently what the room and what the crowd needed. So, And the goal is uh, the award is uh, uh, works of literature that include uh, or have something to say about equity and inclusion. So this would be the very books that are being banned now across the country, I would guess. Yes, uh, absolutely. So this is very, it's unexpected that this has happened suddenly again. But right now we are uh, under attack uh, in states like Florida and Texas, but other states as well. And in fact, one of my books, The Music of What Happens, is among the more banned books. Uh, All of my books have been banned. Destination Unknown hasn't yet, but you just read it, so you know it will be. Oh, yeah, Um, for sure. For For sure. sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So as a matter of fact, um, this just came out uh, since the beginning of the 21-22 school year. There have been 1,648 unique book titles uh, that have been banned. That Uh, is correct. It is. It's been a very, very strange year because I think we're past this. And this is a concerted effort by the right wing. Uh, it's very well organized to infiltrate school boards, first of all, and to take over. And they are very organized. And uh, it hits me in a, in a really delicate place. Uh, some of what they're doing is they're calling those of us who write these books uh, groomers and pedophiles. And <clears throat> as somebody who was groomed, and as somebody who was a victim of pedophiles, it is extraordinarily painful to have that language used against me. Uh, it is the last thing I am. All I really want, and all, all any of us who write these books want, is for kids to have more outlets than we did when we were younger. Yeah, no, I've, I've had the, the same discussion uh, with my brother, who is planning on voting for Ron DeSantis for president um, in 2024 and thinks he's great. Um, Meanwhile, um, and this speaks to exactly your point, in Dade County, Miami, just last week, it was two weeks ago, the school board voted um, seven to one against uh, honoring uh, or, um, uh, uh, I guess, uh, um, having the school system say that October was uh, queer, you know, LGBTQ history month, which it is around the country, this, this county has voted against um, making mention of it or doing anything about it in the school. And uh, they voted against it seven to one. And uh, the reason, and they had voted for it the year before. Um, And one of the main reasons why they voted against it was because they felt that it went directly against or directly opposed the bill uh, that had passed uh, in July. Don't say gay bill, right? Yeah. They don't say gay bill, which, I hate to call it the don't say gay bill because it doesn't have the word gay in it. But right. and people keep, you know, whenever you say that to somebody on the right, they're always like, it doesn't say that. It's like, <laughs> OK, dude, but you sure. know, that's the <laughs> that's the effect. That's basically that the, effect. the effect. So yeah. um, but anyway, enough of that. So this book, uh, Destination Unknown, which I, I had previously told a uh, bill that I read in one day. Uh, that's how easy it is to read. You, you're a very it's very easy to read your writing. It, it's like Thank butter, you. to be honest Thank with you, which um, very uh, kind. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And I, I'm not a big reader. I just started um, reading just a few years ago. 
Um, and so, but this book uh, reads like butter. So it, it, um, it takes place uh, in New York, which is where you grew up. Um, mm-hmm. And it basically goes through uh, the 80s. And, and I, you want to go ahead and give the listeners, I don't want to take this from you, like just kind of a synopsis of, of what the story is about. Sure. Uh, the story is about two boys, 117, 118, who meet in a club called The Tunnel one night. It is told from the point of view of 17-year-old Micah, who is in the closet. And it's really about, in some ways, the most interesting person he ever met, who is 18-year-old CJ. CJ is out and proud and wild, uh, taken to uh, lying sometimes. He's, uh, he's a very complicated character. Uh, and Michael, uh, Micah himself is much more uh, sort of baseline. So they, they, they help each other. They kind of, in the midst of growing up, it's 1987. So they're growing up right in the midst of the AIDS epidemic in its epicenter in New York. Um, <clears throat> so that's what the book is. And also that's where I come from. I mean, I, I was 17 in 1987 in New York. Wow. That must've been, I don't know, a very scary and exciting time. Now, now th- th- there's Micah and there's CJ and um, CJ has been, been out and wild for a while. Uh, Michael is a uh, very closeted. He, he wears members only jackets, which are apparently out of style at that point, um, which I, I thought was really funny. But um, so and I read in the back, you said you were three parts CJ and, and one part um, Micah. So how does how does that work? Because to me, this reads like um, uh, this reads like um, nonfiction. Right. And, and I'm, I'm reads, so glad <laughs> yeah, it, it reads like this is your story. Right. Uh, so, so I was trying. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, we call that verisimilitude. And I was trying really hard. And there is I won't say what happens, but there's an epilogue that sort of puts the cherry on top of that, where I'm trying for people to finish reading and think, is that him? Uh, right. It, it isn't. <laughs> uh, but that was what I was going for. Uh, I had a wild um, teenage time. I, I was a very precocious kid. Um, <clears throat> I, I have always lacked a filter in terms of like people have said, when did you come out? I came out when I realized I was gay. Cause I, I didn't know how not to, uh, I I've always told people everything. So, uh, you know, I came out very young and I was adventurous and, when I look back at some of the choices I made, or maybe I'd say were made for me, because there's a little bit of both, uh, I don't have as I don't have as positive a feeling about that. But it certainly was an adventure, and I knew at some point, in some way, I was going to write about that time. It just turned out I needed to write it from a third person perspective, like I had to create a character to watch. And CJ isn't me. CJ is sort of I would say monster me. Um, you know, right. Just my id. <laughs> so, right. No, it was I, fun to write. When I, as I started reading it, cause I read like the first chapter and then I, I, I put it down and then I picked it up again and read the whole rest of it in one sitting. And, uh, but my initial thought was cause the, the, the book starts in a bar, um, at, you said in the tunnel and um we have um 
we have uh, CJ, who's this wild, beautiful, you know, he was dressed in drag that night, but not that's not him normally, but uh, just so out there. And I just remember being, when I first came out, I remember being very intimidated by boys like that. Uh, and so I, I immediately related. The, all, the other thing about it is that I was like, I don't want to be in a gay bar right now. Like, I was like, I don't like this because it's such an intimidating atmosphere. It was such an intimidating atmosphere for me that um, I think that's why I put it down, Bill, because I was like, I don't want to be in this bar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, I've never been to the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so it it really isn't, uh, you know, nonfiction at all. Um, I, I wrote it as if I'd been there. I did some some research. I understand that I wasn't, I never wore drag as a teenager. I, uh, I think, you know, what needs to be explained is that the reason 18 year old CJ is wearing drag is because an older man he has been dating asked him to, right. That is young Bill Konigsberg. That was me. I, I, I made lots of interesting choices along those lines. And, and I think I'm now 51 and I'm still kind of working it out figuring out like what that was and what that did to me. Yeah. Cause you said, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you, you, somebody that was groomed is what you said. And yeah. I wondered, I wonder what that meant. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Well, it's, it's, and it isn't it uh, part of the book. It doesn't happen. Well, it actually is. It's, there's a nod to it in the book. CJ mentioned something, but it's not gone into. I was groomed by an English teacher um, uh, in, in high school. The first openly gay person I knew who I came out to in ninth grade uh, groomed me. And basically I had a sexual relationship with uh, right before senior year. So it's something that happens, unfortunately. Uh, And it happened to me and it took me years to understand what happens from a trust perspective uh, when an adult does that to a teenager. So Mm -hmm. my whole life, uh, is sort of an answer to that. It, it is about safety for kids and making sure kids have what I didn't have. Because all I wanted at that time was a book uh, or two or three mm. <laughs> or a TV show or a movie that had any gay character, anything. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the two things come to mind. One is, so it sounds like you had a relationship with this with this teacher and um, probably incredibly confusing because, you know, even even though, you know, the power dynamic was such that, you know, you really, in a way, didn't really have a whole lot of choice and you were taken advantage of, doesn't mean that your penis didn't go up. Right. You know, right. and that's, that's, that's what's exactly right. That's what's yep. so confusing about it. Um, yes. and, and, and you end up with this, this uh, arousal and, and abuse being like inextricable inextricably connected it's like you know you spend the rest of your life kind of peeling those things back apart that's right that's exactly right and and i think you know it takes a while just to figure out as somebody who's had that happen it took me until my 30s to understand it happened uh you, you yeah. know the stories we tell each i i just felt that i was special uh, oh, I had such special powers as a young person, but teachers often know exactly what they're doing. And, and it's, boy, I, I hope I'm not, um, well, it's just the truth. I mean, I talk about what, what the truth is, and this is the truth. This happened. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Well, um, uh, we're, we'll stop for a second. We've got to go for a quick break. I'll be right back. We're speaking with Bill Konensberg and about his new book, Destination Unknown, uh, that just came out. Uh, and uh, we will be right back. Free all political prisoners. Free all political prisoners. Free all political prisoners. This is a Public Affairs Bulletin Board announcement brought to you by your station for progressive information and handpicked quality music. WRFG 89.3 FM. WRFG.org. On October the 4th, 2022, honoring the birthday of human rights icon Imam Jamil Alameen, formerly H.R.A.P. Brown. Supporters will gather outside the CNN building, 190 Marietta Street, Northwest Atlanta, Georgia, 303 at 12 noon to call on CNN to tell the truth about his false incarceration. This event is organized by the Imam Jamil Action Network in cooperation with African Holistic Health Association, Black Alliance for Peace, Atlanta, FTP, Moore Science Temple Number 33, Atlanta, and Workers World Party. For more information, Imam Jamil Action Network.org. 770-866-7570-833-999-IJAN or 4526. And we are back. That's the beginning of Blue Monday by the New Order. Uh, welcome back to Alternative Perspectives. This is Atlanta's only queer radio hour. I'm your host, Greg Boston, and we are speaking with Bill Konensberg about his book, Destination Unknown, its seventh book uh, that just came out in the last two, three weeks. Uh, so, Bill, just the, 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 the book is about ultimately well the, the, it's more than just this but the it centers around the relationship the developing relationship between uh cj uh who's kind of a wild child um party boy and uh mika who is not really yet out of the closet and uh one of the things that i found interesting is is the way that their relationship developed because uh an, initially it seemed like they were going to be dating uh, but then they had a little bit of a um, a, a little tr- a little tay I guess. And then after that, there was a decision that they were going to be still friends, although they, they were just going to be friends, although that's not really how they felt about each other. And uh, the, the relationship becomes confusing and murky and um, upsetting to me because this is so many of my relationships early on. Uh, and I wondered, had you had those sorts of things happen to you as well? Um, I, I did, uh, very much so. And, and, you know, I wanted to write about that because I think it's so fitting of the time. You, you know, when we were, when I was growing up in the 1980s, uh, there was a sexually transmitted disease that killed people. And 
there was no cure and there was no real good treatment. And everything was so frightening that I think um, the fear lent itself to these sort of murky relationships. I, I, all I remember from the 80s were <laughs> murky relationships. Uh, you, you know, there weren't, another thing, of course, is there, there weren't organizations for young LGBT people um, that I could find, even in New York. So I didn't know other young people. So I sort of was following that, that part of CJ and, and who he is comes from me. Like I wanted to date somebody my age, but I also, it wasn't what I was used to. Does that make sense? So, yeah. so it was, it was confusing, you know? Yeah, no. And, and I, you know, there's a little bit in the book, it talks about how in New York uh, at that time, at least the bars that they were going to, it was, you know, the, it was, it was older men for the most part. There didn't seem to be places where young men congregated, which I was surprised to hear. Well, it just was how it was as I, that's how it always felt when I was growing up. There yeah. were young people in New York, obviously there were young LGBTQ people. Um, and I found them right around 18 or 19. <clears throat> but when I first went to the piers uh, in the village, that was the very first time. And that's when, where young people hung out and especially young people of color. Uh, and that felt like a community. Uh, and that was exciting. But before that, <laughs> all that felt available to me were bars. You know, that was the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and, and you had, you've mentioned this, but uh, the book takes place during uh, during the AIDS crisis, which in some ways is still going on. But it was in a that um, was in a particularly uh, tough time in the uh, late '80s. They hadn't really come out with anything yet. People were dying left and right, um, and uh, Reagan wasn't doing anything about it. Uh, there's a lot of um, uh, and and uh, uh, CJ as he was a wild party boy, but he was also very politically active, uh, which I thought was kind of cool, uh, and. Um, but the thing that I wanted to say, oh, Micah, who who had um had was not out, uh, was petrified uh, about uh, HIV, and that I really related to myself. You know, I came out in 1987. That's when I oh. came out. I'm 57 now, and mm -hmm. so and I always like to tell people I never knew sex without. Oh my God, I'm afraid I'm going to die. And um, yes, the very, right. the, and what is that? You know, and I already had shame around being gay. So it, this is just kind of added insult to injury. But I remember the very first time I went to a gay bar um, and I, I kissed a boy. All I did was kiss. Mm -hmm. And the next day I was on the phone, you know, with Aid Atlanta or the yeah. CDC, the CDC actually. And right. I asked them, you know, can you get it from kissing? And the answer was yes. Oh, my God. Yes. The answer was it's possible. Oh. And so, you know, I wait. I had to wait. And at those days, you had to wait three months before you could even get a test, really six months. And then you had to wait two weeks to find out. And there's there's a book in there where they, they you know, there's a test and um, they have to wait two weeks. And that was another thing I related to. Oh Nightmarish. 
nightmarish. Do you remember the first time you got an HIV test? Bill? I, I do. And it was, it was absolutely traumatic, you know, mm -hmm. and people have to understand also that there was no cure or good treatment. So this was a test to tell you whether you had a disease that was likely going to kill you. And, and yeah, absolutely traumatic. And I remember exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and, and of course, Micah goes through that in the book where they kiss and then he freaks out. I, and so did I, you know, so many of us have the same experience or very similar experiences. Uh, it was many, many years. I mean, I don't know. It was until prep came out that I ever began to feel that sex wasn't necessarily deadly. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I think those of us in a, a certain age range, people who didn't come out before the epidemic, so people mostly in their 50s or younger, uh, have the same story, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a whole different world now, for sure, for sure. Um, and and um, about that, so um, there's, um, uh, they get involved with ACT UP. Yes. And so there's uh, um, a lot of stuff in there about, about ACT UP and they go to a meeting and they end up in a demonstration. Uh, and one of the things that I thought was so interesting about it was Micah had been, I guess, led a very sheltered life uh, and um, was, uh, had, you know, he had just come out at that point, but uh, he was not somebody that was going to put himself out there and, you know, he, didn't really like a lot of attention being paid to him. And he certainly didn't like to shake up the status quo, but, um, but through the process, this was, I thought this was really um, interesting the way that you did this, but he ends up in a demonstration. Micah does, and he ends up getting arrested. And while he's in the process of being pulled away by the cops and thrown into the van, um, this is the moment at which he feels freer than he's ever felt in his life. And I thought that was really neat. And I just, I guess I wanted to, to have you comment on that because I'm sure that was by design. Um, I just thought that was a really neat concept. Well, it's, it's, it's complicated, isn't it? Because there, there is some sort of ironic moment for many of us in coming out where <laughs> by coming out, we create for ourselves bigger problems in some ways. That is not what I want to say. Uh, in the 80s, uh, for those of us who were coming out at that time, uh, we created for ourselves mountains of problems because it simply was not acceptable for most people. However, it was also the most freeing thing. And, and I love that moment. You know, you know, that one, I never went to uh, an act. I, I did go to ACT UP meetings. I never went to a major protest. Uh, but I felt that moment in writing that book. I understood that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's really powerful. Um, you know, the book just came out and um, in um, Atlanta, uh, I think it was two weeks ago. It might've been the weekend it came out. Uh, we had our annual AIDS walk uh, mm -hmm. here in Atlanta and it's still, it's still going on. It's still affecting people. It's still yeah. not something that you want to have. That's you know, right. It's definitely not something that you want to have. But you, you, um, it sounds like. Well, now I'm. I guess you escaped it. Now I'm. I'm asking something I shouldn't ask. But no, um, it's uh, look. I'm an open book, uh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I'm HIV negative. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think it was pretty clear to me growing up that I would die of AIDS. That is what I expected would happen. Um, I, I just didn't see any way around it. I was um, sexual. Uh, I wasn't a hundred percent sure how the disease was transmitted and I was unwilling to give up being sexual. So, you, you know, that seemed like what was going to happen. I don't know. I don't know if I have exactly survivor's guilt, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're all, we're all exactly the same. It's not like I'm separate from all of the people and all of my friends who died uh, due to complications from AIDS because we're all exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, same, um, stuff, same people. Well, I really do. I appreciate I appreciate the book. Um, and I think it's something that would be helpful for a lot of people to read from a historical, it's, it's almost historical fiction is really what it is. Um, mm -hmm. And it goes yes. through um, a time period that I think a lot of people in the, uh, the younger queer generation know nothing about. And it was, it's, um, I mean, can you imagine being 17 and 18 years old and this is what you're facing? Uh, right. I think it's so important you know, to have that historical perspective. And I, and I know from teaching uh, that I've had queer students who have said to me that they don't know much about uh, AIDS. And that mm -hmm. really surprised me because, of course, first of all, it's still happening. Uh, and second of all, it's a massive part of our history. Yeah, yeah. And you wrote this book during COVID, I guess. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> Which is uh, interesting because there's definitely some parallels uh, there are some, them. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I hear that all the time. The early part of COVID, I, I think there were some parallels, and yeah, I think yeah. then it sort of went off the rails, became something completely different. Also yeah. strange, but different. <laughs> well, I mean, there was a lot of like not, you know. I think there was some COVID shame. You know, like if you came out with COVID, then you were irresponsible, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, by yeah. the way, really quickly on that. I, I'm just getting, you probably hear it in my voice. I'm just getting over COVID, my third oh. bout. And somebody, somebody <laughs> last week on social media said, how do you keep getting it? And I felt so, I felt so COVID shamed. I was amazed by that. <laughs> like I'm looking for it or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, this monkeypox thing, oh, my it's goodness. like what 95% gay men. You know, yes. it's like it's so I'm sure that the right, the religious right is having, you know, a real party with that one. But um, they are. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask one more question, Bill. We only have a couple of minutes. This question is completely inane. And this is just because I'm a curious individual and I, I want to understand why, because I'll read a book and I'll get to a part and I'm like, I wonder why the writer made the decision at this point. So I'm going to read some just tiny inane part of the book. This isn't like some big deal, but um, um, so this, this takes place. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to do any spoilers, so I'm not going to say too much about this, but um, uh CJ's just talking about uh, taking some uh, about something that Micah said to him that caused him to kind of rethink his life. Um, and so CJ's saying to him, uh, saying to Micah, um, the thing you said on the phone about taking one affirmative action, uh, just do one more thing. That's what I'm going to do. And Micah is thinking to himself, uh, I never said anything about affirmative action. 
that wasn't me. Um, I wouldn't have said that, but nonetheless, it was good news. And then he goes on and on and on. And so I thought to myself, I wonder how is it that you decided that he wasn't going to like, I didn't say that. Like what made you <laughs> say that? I know it's a name question, but I just, no, it, it's actually, it's the kind of question that writers like, because that's what we do. And people don't always notice things <laughs> like that. Uh, that's what I like to write are, are odd moments like that. Um, it, because that's what creates the reality, right? Something that is inane, but nonetheless there. Uh, actually, that came from reading my diary, my journal, when I was 17, and my dear friend Rhonda having said something, and I wrote, I, I heard what she said, and I have to take one affirmative action. And I thought, that's a really funny saying. Uh, how will I use that? <laughs> so reality sort of peeks in at different places in the novel. Yeah. Well, it, it just it reminded me, because I have a therapist, um, or an on and off therapist. I mean, I see her just occasionally now. She's amazing. But I used to see her many years ago. And then I went back just recently for kind of like a check-in. And um, she told me, you know, that there was this moment years ago when I told her, you know, that I sang alone in the shower and she remembered like, wow, this person who at that point was really shy, but they really want to sing out. It, it, it really marked for her. This was like a really important moment. And she learned a lot about me when I said that. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say that. I don't remember saying <laughs> but I'm like, I don't want to ruin the moment for her. So I'm just going to. That is so relatable. I, to- I think I totally get that moment. Yes. <laughs> But uh, but anyway, all right. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us, Bill. Uh, the book is Destination Unknown, which, by the way, did you know there's another book called Destination Unknown? There apparently is an Agatha Christie book. Yes. Destination Unknown. Yes. I, I didn't know that when I titled it, but. Is that OK to do? I sure, didn't know there was sure. a problem. I didn't. I Not thought you had to. OK. All right. Not a problem. I'll assume nope, they're breaking the law. <laughs> no, I think, uh, you know, it's just, it was my hope that maybe it would become the most popular one and it may yet become the most popular one. Who's to say? Definitely. Definitely. But, uh, it would be nice if you could read this book inside of a high school library. Uh, there should be in rather than banning a book, you know, maybe, you know, these are books that you need permission from your parents to read. Maybe we do something like that. But right. to ban a book completely is ridiculous. But and and and, and it's it's a, a misunderstanding of the difference between sexual content and pornography. Pornography is there to titillate. I didn't write this book to titillate. The sex is important to the story. That's what the story is about: is a sexually transmitted disease. I think it's still important material. But I also agree. I think a book like this, which is certainly my most sexual book, it could be one of these books that people need permission to sign out perhaps well and i mean to me bill sex is not anywhere close like the act itself is not anywhere near the most important part of this book at all you know to me it's to me it's a book about self-discovery and about coming out and about love and about you know it's it's not about sex acts absolutely absolutely agree and thank you for saying (laughs) Sure. All right, Bill. Well, that's going to do us. Uh, Thank you so much, Bill Konensberg. The book is Destination Unknown. uh, And that's going to do it for the show. Uh, Next up, we have Peach State Festival. And um, learn something about HIV. That's my assignment to you. If you don't know a lot about it, look up the history of it. I'll see you next week.